So, Berto, let's do some tougher bluffs. What do you say? Tough. Marijuana is among U.S. adults. U.S. <laughs> Sorry. Are you on some substance? <laughs> <laughs> Marijuana use among U.S. Actually, I want to tell you something. Someone posted on Facebook today. Oh. Actually, my cousin posted okay. it. I've done a fair amount of research on the history of marijuana, and I maybe not enough, apparently, because I don't remember even coming across this, and it seemed very compelling, and it was published in HuffPo, I believe. And, you know, so this is just something I was posted on Facebook, but I thought it was quite interesting, and it seemed like a potential factor, because as we start to change our cultural idea of marijuana, you know, it's much more normal, especially here in Seattle. Um, it's legal. Yep. It's you, when you think about marijuana use, you, I often think about like a 55 year old soccer mom on a Friday night, get, you know, getting high and at a party. And I mean that to me, that's pot in my life. You know yep. what I mean? And whereas before it was associated with like, with like gangster rap. And then before that it was like <laughs> very nefarious, you know, like yeah. cocaine or something. And so, so anyway, the article said that prohibition of alcohol was a major effort on behalf of the government, and a lot of people were in charge of of policing that in our government. They, you know, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of, of employees with a director of, like, you're in charge yeah. of, of prohibition. <laughs> I don't know the people, but... And then when pro and during that time, marijuana was fine to even this director. He apparently they have him on record saying that marijuana is fine. Harmless. Yeah, it's totally harmless. And then when alcohol becomes legalized, that (laughs) becomes legalized again, all of these people are potentially out of a job. And so this director, as a way of trying to save all of his employees jobs, decides to target marijuana and, you know, goes on a campaign and succeeds in making marijuana. You know, he paints it as this, like, it makes you go violent. It makes you go crazy. It makes you become slutty. Like, it it has all these, all the things that I think, actually, I grew up thinking marijuana did to you. Yeah. Because it was fed to me in the 70s. You were fed marijuana growing up? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, well, the 70s was just drenched in pot. They called it grass back then. And so, um, I don't know, it's a compelling argument, don't you think? I mean, if the yeah. data is right. It, yeah, I mean... Because I've, I've always wondered, sorry, yeah. I've always wondered why marijuana was targeted so hardly. I mean, uh, the, the one of the common reasons that they will say is it was associated with Mexicans and at the time, they were trying to get rid of Mexicans. And one of the things they would do is they would pathologize everything they did, including using mar- – I mean, the word marijuana is a Spanish yeah, word, right? That's right. And so the uh, so they said it was due to racism, essentially. And, and that seems you know like a possible answer. But it always felt like that couldn't be the only answer. And I, I think it's not – meaning not the only answer. I think even this other one is probably part of the equation. I've also read things that even before what we know of as like pot and stuff back in uh, – I don't know, like even 1800 something or whatever. Uh, when they were trying to grow hemp and grow a hemp industry, they, they one of the problems is that it was going to compete against so many other 
types of grains and because you can build clothes out of hemp, you can build ropes out of hemp, you can eat hemp, you can do all these things, right? So I, my, I don't remember all the details, but it, it sounded like there was a big coalition to like, no, we don't right. want hemp, right? right? And so there's that. Yeah. And then you're probably, I don't know, I haven't seen, I, I, I think I saw the post, but I haven't read it. It seems viable because you ha- you do have a big industry that grows up over policing alcohol. Once the policing alcohol goes away, what do you do with all that industry? Right. It's the same reason why, in fact, right now there is so much opposition to legalizing it because there is a big industry around defending against pot. Same thing with drugs in general, right? right. Uh, and instead of maybe pivoting that industry to, fine, we're going to treat and educate, right? Uh, and we might have to move some jobs out into other fields, no, instead, it's, it, it's got to apply negative pressure. And, and again, even now, it's not the only issue. There is still a lot of puritanical feeling about it. Yeah, it, totally. You know, I think that in a lot of uh, religious sectors, it probably feels like, oh, that just feels wrong. That feels right. not holy or something. Right. Um, let's but, go have a beer while we drink about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. In my estimation, upon looking at a lot of different data and, and physical effects and emotional effects and and body and and uh, behavioral effects and public health effects, marijuana is so much safer than alcohol. So many things, yep. so many bad things happen when people are drinking: suicide, drunk driving, homicide, uh, rape, rape. Yeah, uh, you know the hangovers and the and, the, and the, not to the, mention your liver and oh, absolutely, and not to mention uh, uh, just uh, what do you call it. Behavior that's uh, irrational, but also reckless. Reckless behavior, yeah. even if it doesn't lead to a car crash, it's you are uh, betting more money than you should. You're right. taking greater risks than you should. You, right. You're, all these you're, t- you're texting exes. You know, I don't know if pot, I don't think pot makes you text your exes <laughs> the, way that, <laughs> the way that alcohol does. Yeah. All right. Well, this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle. And I'm also a therapist. My name is Humberto Castaneda. I grow and distribute hemp in Washington, D.C. So, tougher bluff, Berto. Marijuana use among U.S. adults has increased tenfold from twenty or from 2001 to 2013. So, the past, you know, 15 years-ish. Marijuana use among U.S. adults has increased tenfold during that time. Tougher bluff. Bluff. Um, I think it's actually held... If it's grown, it's been because the population growth, maybe it's slightly more, but it's not been a, as big a growth. It wouldn't. It, it it doesn't have to do with population. It's like per capita. But then, it, then no. But yeah, it's bluff. You're right. It doubled actually. The past year, marijuana use climbed. It's ten percent about now, and it was only four percent fifteen years ago. With particular notable increases among women, black and Hispanic individuals middle-aged and older adults living and, and those living in the South. <laughs> so the people have, who have really taken to marijuana most recently are women, black and Hispanic people, middle-aged and older people, and those living in the South, which I find to be kind of interesting. Basically, it's been increasing among adults because probably because of the cultural change in terms of it being less associated with horrible things. Tougher Bluff, Berto. Time seems to slow down for white Americans who feel threatened by an approaching black person. Tough. 
Yeah, why? In general, time slows down when you feel threatened. And I think culturally, uh, there is there is very likely uh, connections between uh, black men and scariness for, for a lot of white folk or for, for a lot of different kinds of non-black races, maybe even. Excellent. You're, that's exactly right. The speculation as to why is is a speculation, and, and you're speculating that it seems like a viable uh, possibility. By the way, all the tougher blasts, the most tougher blasts I get are from the APA monitor. I just have to point that out. Oh. And this is from the APA, APA monitor, and it's citing a study from the Journal of Experimental Psychology by Princeton University people. And it says, in a series of experiments, 500 white adults viewed faces of white and black people who appeared to be moving toward them on a computer screen. Participants rated the apparent speed or approximate time that each face was on the screen and completed a survey that measured their anxiety when they saw people of a different race. Participants who reported more racial anxiety perceived the approaching black faces as moving more slowly and appearing for a longer duration on the computer screen than the white faces. Fascinating. Fascinating <laughs> way to do that study. It's just so funny that time slows down for racist people when black people come toward Dude, them. that's the angle. You want to live longer? I got the solution. Here's a black person that's going to walk straight, straight at you. We're going to have a stream of, of black people coming at you. <laughs> Tougher bluff. Publicly reporting progress towards goals does not increase the chance of success. Tougher bluff. Publicly reporting progress toward your goals does not increase the chance of success. Tougher bluff. Uh, I'm going to say bluff. I think that making a public commitment and then posting the results of that commitment probably adds more pressure, and I'm going to hope that it's positive net on that. You're right. It is bluff. This is from the University of Sheffield. I thought you were going to say University of Shaming. People. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tougher bluff. Men eat significantly more food in the company of women than when they will with other, with other men. What, so let me just ask you, yourself. So you're, you're with men only. Or you're, or there's a woman with you. Okay. So those two situations. Okay. And you're going to a buffet. Yes. Or a buffet. A as buffet. I, as I heard other people say. And you, so you're with the women, you're with the men, two different. Who would you eat more with and who would you eat less with? No question, the guys. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. With Why? abandon. A, I'm concerned they're going to take my portion. B, we're all talking about how delicious these ribs are and I can't get enough of them. C, I'm not trying to be – I see because I'm not concerned that my stomach's going to be too full and it might feel a little gassy later when we're trying to consummate our immediate love that we just found and discovered <laughs> over dinner. God. You know? You got to be properly fed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Before having sex, just eat a ton <laughs> of food. No, but that's my point is like if you're with a woman, you're concerned about that. So you're like, I'm not going to eat that much. Oh, I see. I I'm going to eat just enough so I can be limber. I'm with, the, I'm with the dudes. There's no sex tonight. Probably not. Okay. I mean, there might be. Yeah. And in which case, you'll both find out that it was a mistake to eat all the ribs. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you're wrong, Berto. It's, it's tough. What? This is from Cornell University. Oh, my gosh. They have a lab called the Food and Brand Lab. Oh, I want to go there so bad. Re researchers observed 105 men and women who ate pizza and salad at a buffet over two weeks. So I think they just observed people at a, you know, they didn't, these, these were just regular people. You know, coming yeah. to the buffet, eating, and they were just, you know, coding what they were doing. 
After eating, the diners completed short surveys on their level of fullness, feelings of hurriedness, and comfort while eating. Men who dined with at least one woman ate 93% more pizza and 86, wow. 86% more salad than men who dined only with other men. That's ridiculous. Okay, now I have a new theory. Okay, what's that? <laughs> okay, first of all, when you're dining, of course, this makes sense. When you're dining with other men, you're concerned that at any moment, a brawl is going to break out. You don't <laughs> want to be burdened by like a really full stomach and gassy all over the place in a brawl. You want to be lean and mean. Also, guess what? They are taking your portions. You're trying to eat as much as you can, well, and they're taking your portions. Well, let's think. I mean, let's think sort of like, <laughs> like jokes aside. Uh, why would people, why would men eat... More. 93%. That's like almost twice the amount of pizza and salad than they did when they just ate with with other men. It just, it, it's, it, it, why would they do that? Seems counterintuitive. The only thing I could think of if you go like way back or something would be like, uh, no, actually, I don't even, no, I was going to say something along the lines of uh, if if the woman cooks for the man and the man feels like that's part of the relationship is eating right. that food. But no, that I can see that. I, I, I could see that. I, you know, I think that that's, you know, we're yeah, speculating, maybe. but that could be a potential factor when you're, when a traditional masculine male is hanging out with women, you could have this sort of thing kick in of like eat, eat more food. Cause, cause a buffet is, is actually, this is one of the reasons why buffets are terrible for me <laughs> if, I, if I'm trying to count my calories, because I was taught as a child to eat everything on my plate. And when there's a buffet, there's a never-ending supply of things on my plate. And right. so, so I could see that association with mothers feeding you being a factor in that. And then the other possibility is the women eat much slower, right? So uh. you're, you're, you're done. You're scarfed down your two slices, and you look over, and she's got like a full plate, and you're like, well, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to go get more. Oh. With the guys, everyone scarves at the same time. So you're like, oh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I could see another factor being that you're trying to show off. Like you're, you're trying to be... I can eat a lot. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, look at me. I can eat a bunch. It's just interesting that they would eat more. Yeah, that's crazy. Because the fact that they would eat less with dudes that, you know, just imagining four dudes going into a buffet and choosing to eat half the amount they would eat normally with women. That's crazy. It just doesn't make any sense. Is, but the, the other thing is, is it, if I didn't look at the exact study, but did they account for time of day or... I would hope so. I mean, I would hope so, but yeah, you're right. I don't know. Yeah. Because the other thing is, is like when you're, with, when you're with women going to a buffet, might that be a different sort of event than when you're going with dudes? Because I'm thinking if you're going with dudes, maybe it's like for work or something and... I don't know. That could be. But when you're with a woman, then maybe it's like family and celebratory and like a birthday party or something. Well, that's something I would want to see. The difference between women that you're not sexually attracted to and women that you're very sexually attracted to Mm. and see what that difference is. They could have asked that question on the survey. Are you sexually attracted to the woman that you're with? And you should ask in front of both people? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Answer truthfully. Okay. Same study. (laughs) Women eat less food when dining with men. Tougher bluff. Women eat less food dining with men than when they're with women. Tougher bluff. Anecdotally, I'm going to... Oh, wait. I was going to go tough. I was going to say they eat less when they're with men 
because that kind of makes sense. They're all being like, oh, I'm not going to eat that much of stuff. But then I'm thinking they might be showing off for their friends that how little they eat. I don't know. I'm going to go tough. It's bluff. The amount, the amount doesn't change. Oh, that doesn't change. There's no difference. The amount that women ate doesn't differ when eating with other women than with men. They eat, they eat the same amount. Okay. Which I thought was also kind of interesting. That's such an easier way to live, I guess. It's just interesting. (laughs) Again, 53% more pizza and 86% more salad men when they're with women. That's, again, twice as much pizza and twice as much salad. It's just, it's bizarre. It's like, what's wrong with us that we're so affected by our surroundings like that. That's incredible. <laughs> All right, tougher bluff. The food on your kitchen counter can predict your weight. Sorry, sorry. One second, though. Okay. What? Do you realize we just figured out a genius business? What? We're going to beat pizza, oh. uh, Pagliacci's, all these things. Plant a woman at, yes. every, at every table. Yes. And, you know, mostly male just have clientele. A, just have a cutout. It Maybe research just shows <laughs> if you just have a cutout, cutout is all of you a need. female. And you sell by the slice. That's the key. Yeah. No buffet. Buffet, you'll go bro- broke. Yeah. Buy the slice. Yeah, twice as much money. Wow. Figured it out. Maybe that's why there's always women waitresses. Maybe that's part of it. I don't Maybe. Know. All right. The food on your kitchen counter can predict your weight. So, Berto, think about your kitchen counter at home. Like, what, what food is displayed visually on the, on the counter? I mean, there's the pork rinds. There's the, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, kitchen counters generally fairly cleared out of, oh, bananas. There might be bananas. Okay. Okay. Well, what do you think? The food, like the kind of food essentially on your kitchen counter can predict your weight. What do you think? I mean, that seems haphazard. Maybe um, I'm going to go bluff. It's tough. Cornell University. A study published in Health, Education, and Behavior. They studied photos of more than 200 American kitchens and compared them to the weight of the women living in those homes. Wow. They found that women who had breakfast cereal sitting on the counters weighed about 20 pounds more than those who didn't. Women with soft drinks sitting out weighed 26 to 26 pounds more, 24 to 26 pounds more. In kitchens where, where there's visible fruit bowls, women weighed about 13 pounds less than women from the kitchens without one. Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, it makes sense that the correlation's there when you're eating those foods. Yeah. It is amazing that they're just, yeah, just look at the counter. <laughs> right. 13 pounds. That's and that, That's crazy. interesting. Of course, there's got to be other factors like... Why are the? It's like if you're trying to lose weight and you just put a. Fruit, I keep hiding my foods in the in the cupboard, yeah. and I'm still not losing weight. Yeah, but you know, I think it's natural to uh, conclude that when you have a healthy lifestyle, it shows in the things that are out in your kitchen. Right. All right, tough or bluff. Speech calms baby longer than songs. So talking to babies calms them for longer periods of time than just playing them uh, a nice song. Tough or bluff? What do you think? Wow. Okay. I'm going to say bluff. I'm going to think, I'm going to say the music, especially if it's like death metal music. No, just kidding. Uh, is going to calm them longer. Actually, you are correct. You said bluff? I said bluff. Yeah. It's the opposite. Songs calm them longer than speech. University of Montreal study. In the experiment with 36 to 9-month-year-olds, researchers played either recordings of a Turkish play song 
or baby talk by an adult speaking in Turkish until the infant showed signs of distress. I'm guessing they use Turkish because the kids didn't speak Turkish, and so mm, you couldn't... You didn't want to have them understand what right. they were. Yeah. They found that when listening to the Turkish song, babies remained calm for an average of approximately nine minutes compared with roughly half as long when just listening to speech. Interesting. Yeah. So this is how they invented music in the first place. You're sitting there in the tribes. Babies are crying left and right. And they're like, stop crying. No, and it's like, right? right? And then nothing's working. And then someone slightly more musically says, Whoa. and then the baby seems a little calmer. Oh. And then they're like, they start harmonizing. Exactly. <laughs> music. (laughs) That is a compelling potential, you know, of course we'll never know, but but yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if anyone's ever speculated that before. I'm sure someone I'm gonna write a book about it. But it's interesting because yeah, why why do we have music is is a question. I'm gonna write an evolutionary psychology book about how we develop music. Yeah. And it's gonna be all based on my hypothesis. (laughs) Right. And you'll talk about it like it's true. Yep. Tougher bluff. Undergraduate college students are less likely to have sex on days they use marijuana or binge on alcohol. Undergraduate college students, who are usually the only ones that are participating in any of these psychological psychological studies, are less likely to have sex on days they use marijuana or binge on alcohol. Tougher bluff. I'm going to go tough. Uh, the marijuana probably is related to a, an activity, some sort of pattern, and so they, they're involved in that. And then the alcohol, if they drink too much, they're not really going to be operable in the first place. So I'm going to go tough. This is at Oregon State University, which is just to the south of us. Oregon State, this is terrible. I think it's Oregon State Ducks, right? It's, Are those the Ducks? Okay, I don't know. There's Oregon, Oregon Beavers. I, I keep forgetting. This is terrible to be. I went to UW and... Oregon and Oregon State are like major rivals, and so I should know which one's the ducks and which one's the beavers. So either where the ducks or the beavers are, it's bluff. They're more likely to have sex on days they use pot or binge really? on alcohol. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, wow. My, my guess would be that when you're in college and you're studying, you're not using alcohol and and using pot, you're you're at home and you're studying, and so you're probably not ha- having sex too. You know what I mean? Did I really just answer? Like, now I'm realizing how dumb it is that I went the other way. It's like, come on. <laughs> uh, well, it's been too long for you, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> to ha- that you had sex. Yes, it's yeah. been since college, <laughs> and I was high and drunk at the time. <laughs> Uh, tougher buff. College students are less likely to use condoms when they are binge drinking or in serious relationships. Less likely? Less likely to use condoms when they're binge drinking or in serious relationships. Tougher bluff. Oh, that's a weird order to throw in there. I'm going to go bluff, though. I'm going to say they're, uh, wait a minute, they're less likely to use condoms when they're binge drinking. No, that's tough. Okay. I'm going to say it's, it is tough. It is less likely to use condoms when they're binge drinking and, and, or, and or in serious relationships. You're right. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes sense. When you're yeah. binge drinking, you're stupid. Yeah. And when you're in serious relationships, you're, you're stupid. You're, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're probably more trusting That's of right. the person. Uh, and maybe even you're trying to have kids. That's right. Or, you know, that kind of thing. So. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right. Tough or bluff? College students 
are less likely to use condoms when they use marijuana. Less likely to use condoms when... Bluff. No, No clear trend like that. Oh, my God. Exactly right. Bluff. Marijuana... Use does not seem to affect condom use. Ta-da! This is in the Journal of Studies on Alcohol and Drugs. Which means you could sell the condoms along with the marijuana, and they, go, they both get used about the same. Yeah. <laughs> so let's close with a couple, with a couple gripes. Ooh, gripes of wrath. Yeah. So, so do you have any gripes? Because I, I could come up with a, a whole bunch of them. Can I do a traffic gripe? Yeah. So... Over here in the Northwest, we have developed worse and worse traffic over the years. And in the, they, we have the west side and the east side, and they're divided by a lake. And on the east side, there's a road called 405, and this thing has always been pretty bad traffic. Well, they decided to, I think, improve traffic or maybe just collect tolls by, by using two of the lanes as toll-based HOV lanes. Meaning you have to pay for them. Yeah. And or have three or more and have a special sticker thing. Oh. Uh, well, here's the problem. And there are cameras that like take pictures. There's cameras that take pictures. And they have double lines that you are not supposed to cross. So you can only go in and out of them at certain locations. Right. Well, it didn't improve traffic. Traffic got way worse. Because no one takes them? Well, I, yeah, probably not enough people. Yeah. Uh, now, I happen to have one of those things. But even though I have it, it's still fairly annoying because depending where you get on the freeway, like you, you'll still have to endure some traffic just trying to get over to those things. And you can only get over at certain places, right? And the rest of the people don't take it. And they're sitting there pissed off. And they see these lanes mostly open. And they're, oh, man, it's a mess. And so now everyone's revolting. Ah! <laughs> uh, well, what's the solution? People uh, take buses. Yeah, no, I think we need mass transit, man. Mm. Like, did you see this thing someone posted about? They showed a street, and they showed a picture yeah. of all yeah, the cars. I saw you post right? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I liked it or something. And, yeah. I, and you see all the little people inside of the cars. Yeah. So, for those of you listening at home, imagine uh, like a street, a big street in New York City, and you have like maybe four lanes of traffic. And imagine it's you know, car to car, bumper to bumper, and all those cars there with all their little people inside of those cars. Now, even if you fill each one of those cars with people, this is still going to be a problem. But let's say it's a it's a, a mix of one, two, three, four people. Then they showed like what it looks like if you go down to um, like a commuter, like a couple buses or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember the progression, but it got better. And then finally they showed what, what it would look like if it was just like a mass transit system, like a trail or, or a tram or something. And it, it took up so much less space. Yeah, totally. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And what I'll say is it's not just that we need mass transit because we actually have mass transit. People yeah. need to take it. That's, yeah. the, that's the issue. People, I mean, of course, there could be more bus stops. It could be more convenient. Yeah. But the fact is, is we have met, and actually people do take it. We have to admit that. But we need people to actually take it. That's, if, if more people take mass transit, there will be more mass transit because you're paying for something. And, you know, and so, of course, the government needs to fund these kinds of things. But, but even when we have it, we, people still refuse to take it for just a cultural reasons. I think if we had, you know what would help, I think, is, because the, the problem with buses is, I mean, I think the barrier to entry for buses for people is, first of all, they still take quite, it's like quite a 
extra time investment to take the bus if you're going from the east side to the west side or, or vice versa. Because not only do you have to get to a specific bus stop at the right time, that bus usually is not going to get you all the way to where you need to go. So you usually have to change one or more buses and things like that, right? So it's not a straightforward thing, right? But if you had um, like at least north-south and east-west uh, trains or trams or whatever you want to call them that were kind of like in a straight line, go back and forth, back and forth. I think people, I, I know I would do that way more often. You know, like yeah. I, I think more people would do it. That said, but, you're but, right. Like we need to all maximize the available options and then vote for more options. You could take the bus, but you don't. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's the point is like if, if everyone going your route took the bus and everyone going every route like did their best to take the bus there would be so much less traffic yeah but it's it's you know here's here's where it starts getting hard right imagine imagine a family with a couple kids they both have car seats Mm -hmm. Uh, you're going from your house to the mall Mm -hmm. so you could take a bus Mm -hmm. but it's very inconvenient right like to go with your kids wait at the bus stop get them in totally it's very inconvenient that said like in most third world countries where there's not a lot of cars that you own, like that's what you have to do, right? Right. So, I mean... That's I what I'm th- saying. It's a culture <laughs> thing. It's, it's when, when you say it in your mind, you're just like, well, you know, like it would be inconvenient. Yeah, it would yeah, be. Yeah, well, if, that's the point. People take cars because it, it, to them it's more convenient. But in the end, it creates all this traffic, which makes it more inconvenient. Yeah. And it creates more greenhouse gases. That's true. It's that's more true. expensive. I mean, if you spent... It, sometimes I think... And actually, I knew a guy way back when... And I just thought he was a genius and just revolutionary. And today he would seem a little bit more normal. But he sold his car. This is like early 90s. He sold his car and he said, I'm just going to take the taxi everywhere. Because the amount of money I spend on a new car is the same amount as if I just took a taxi everywhere. And yeah, That's an interesting... I got to do the math on that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, think yeah. about a, a typical car payment is what, like 300 bucks a month or something-ish? How, how many trips, especially like if there's the, if it's the second family car, you know, like you, a, a, a taxi ride, especially in Seattle, everything's close and an Uber ride, a Lyft ride is like five, 10 bucks. And like how many times, you know, so there's, there's a certain lifestyle that you can actually design in which you can get very creative with stuff like that or like those cars to go and that kind of stuff. You can actually save money in the end. Interesting. And, and actually, I think people are trying to figure out a way, you know, some Uber, like maybe even Uber, but some kind of way so that you actually can just jump in someone's car. Yeah. And I think Uber even has this. They call it like trips or something. But you can do this today. You, you need a gun, but then you can <laughs> jump into anyone's car. Well, I have a gripe of wrath, and that is is people at the grocery store, checkers, at the grocery store who make p- comments about the things that I buy. <laughs> I, might have, I know what you mean. I, I might have complained about this in the past, but I am g- getting so fucking tired of this. <laughs> like, there's, there's this one grocery store I go to all the time. I probably go there, I don't know, a few times a week. And there are half of the checkers I try to avoid and the other half I like. The half I like, they ring me up, they're quiet. I mean, I don't mind banter, but don't comment on the shit I'm buying. And actually, I know other people with this, with this, who have similar stories. You know, like women go in and buy, like a friend of mine bought a bunch of uh, anti-diarrhea medication. Uh-huh. 
and oh my and, god and this guy this oh this no. this guy's like oh someone's got a problem what yeah oh my god and actually i i hate to admit this but i don't know a couple of years ago i've been this grocery store i've lived next to you a long time and so a couple of years ago there was this one woman that would do it like she would say things like she would say things like well you think you got enough soda here Wow. Like stuff like that. And I'd just be like I don't know. <laughs> Is there a police limit? Or? I mean I'm just thinking like if 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 this was the owner of this of this establishment, they would be so happy that you were buying this yep. stuff. They they would just be like do you want anything more? Yeah, are like, you sure you have it? <laughs> right. But since they don't have that connection with the prophets, yeah. they're they're just they you mean just, the the prophet Muhammad or different prophets? <laughs> they they just think of it as like it's just annoying to have to ring it up. You right, know what I mean? It's right. like oh, more stuff I've got to ring up, and and they get in this bad mood and they just start commenting on bullshit. And I just have to say, like, I know they don't get paid that much, and you know whatever, but stop commenting on people's food. Totally. No, I, 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 can, I can say that. Well, th- so there's times of comments that are okay. Like, for example, sometimes I'll go and I'll pick out some sort of uh, interesting beer, like a really nice stout from Germany that's got chocolate little trounces on it or whatever. Of course, Germany doesn't make that kind of beer, nor would they have trounces because I don't know what that is. But imagine. <laughs> imagine. I'm asking what the fuck is a trounce. So I have a trounce-filled Germany stout. <laughs> and the, the lady might go, ooh, that seems really interesting. I've never tried this one. Is it good? Yeah. And I might say, ah, you know what? I've never tried it. Either. I'm okay with those. I, I don't want them to even say that. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But I say I'm okay with those. But you're absolutely right because I've had the other kind and it's so fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. Because you're sitting there. And, and like one example is I was buying, it was for a party. Like uh, I was having people over. So I had to buy a lot of food and a lot of drinks. Right? And it was one of those comments of like, you're not going to drink all that yourself, are you? Yeah. And it's like, I wanted to say, yes, I'm an alcoholic and I'm yeah. trying to quit or yeah. something. But because yeah. it's like, dude, yeah. why are you asking these questions? Like, right. It's one of the most intimate experiences, yeah. perhaps, that you can have, which is someone looking at every single item that you buy at the grocery store, which can include diarrhea stuff, <laughs> diet stuff, weird... Antifungal medication for right. your eyes. <laughs> yeah, weird products, you know, weird food products that that only you like or you like a lot of or something. You know the one time they'll never ask you a question? What? When you go to the counter with 10 boxes of triple uh, XL Magnum com- condoms <laughs> and bottles of KY. They will not <laughs> ask you any questions. <laughs> Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself. For reals, people, take care of yourself because you deserve it.